Hey everybody, this is Jeremy. Just a quick update before we launch into this interview. You are now entering a new phase of Do Theology where there's a new format. And in this new format, I am doing some solo long form interviews with people, with this one being with Matt Slick. Hope you're looking forward to this. You should be. And uh, it's, it's just me chatting with uh, a guest as though we were in a coffee house having a conversation. I've got a couple of things that I want to hit in these conversations with people, but it, I don't have any pre-made questions. So it's a little bit different than what you've heard from us before. And I hope you enjoy it. So I'm going to play the music at the start of these episodes. And after the music, it goes right into this interview where it's like you're just dropped into a conversation that I'm having with somebody casually about topics that matter. So thanks so much for listening. Hope this is enjoyable. And uh, yeah, I look forward to where this is going to go. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Don't ask me what I feel about myself. Ask me what I know about God. Ask me what I know about his word. I just realized something. He wasn't sleeping on a pillow. He was sleeping on purpose. Something to say I think is important but not essential would be like the inerrancy of scripture. Um, oh wow. And okay. I hold to the inerrancy of scripture. Okay. Title of my sermon tonight is Why Church Nurseries Are Unscriptural and Wrong. And so that's why I have a baby on my hip right here. There is a level of anointing that I believe is going to invade your homes, invade your sight, invade your senses. Um, that's going to, I literally feel that chains are going to break off of you. Do you think I'm wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Yay! So am I a bad guy for saying you're wrong? Yeah. I am? Yeah. <laughs> that's not fair. Hey, by the way, you are a slave. If you're not a slave of Christ, you're a slave of sin. You aren't free. Choose your master. Give us some men who know the truth. Here we are. Now we're now we're all set. Okay. Yeah. So what you you've been? Uh, things are going wrong. You say. What, what is? What's that about? Well, let's see. Tech-wise, uh, I've noticed that throughout history in the ministry that I run and, and go through and do, that whenever I take another step forward to assail, to attack the the, uh, the gates of hell, and that can be done by, hey, I'm going to produce a new series on this, or I'm going to write about this project or whatever it is. Very often, not very often, but often enough, when I begin something like that, uh, it hits the fan. Uh, years ago, for example, um, I was going to do a project on Wicca, and I, I, the articles are on CARM. And so I ordered a bunch of Wicca books, which is a form of sorcery and witchcraft. And uh, I got them, and they all came in at once in a box. And then I prayed over the the uh, the books, laid hands on them, prayed on them. Uh, you know, binding, you know, in the name of Jesus, you know, Lord, would you please bind and things like that. And that night I had one of the worst nightmares I'd ever had in my life. Hmm. And I mean, the kind where you gasp awake and then uh, it takes seconds before you realize it was a dream. And even then uh, it takes a while to recover. And I looked over at those books and I went, that's why. 
two days later, I'm driving on the freeway. My right rear tire exploded. And that's not good on the freeway. And then two or three days later, I was on the Boise, Boise, Idaho, Boise, Boise River. And I'm a very good swimmer. I've been swimming since I was like four. And, uh, and so I love water and even thought about being an oceanographer. And I mean, you know, all this stuff. And I'm on the raft and I get ejected uh, from the raft. It just went over a little bitty, just a little something of water in the middle of this river. And I was at flying out and landed on rocks in the middle of the river. <laughs> cracked ribs and almost broke my wrist and was limping for weeks. And so, you know, that happened. Okay. And I recovered. Here we are. And I've noticed that when I do certain things uh, that it just gets bad. You know, I've been swatted. Uh, I've been threatened with lawsuits. I've had people follow me. Well, anyway, so lately, and it started about six months ago, I'm trying to get video work going uh, to do new projects of video because the young people, I mean, I'm 66. Young people, they have a short attention span and they want video. Well, that's fine. That's fair. Let's just say that the amount of trouble I've had getting lighting, audio, and video to work has been incredible. And it's not like I'm a doofus and don't know how to do things. I mean, I, I'm smart. And I, don't, I used to be a tech, and I've taught tech, technical stuff. And it's just amazing. I remember once I got all things, everything was set up, and it was perfect. And I go to uh, to do a video, and the sound doesn't work. There's no reason. Hmm. So this kind of stuff. I, and we got a new camera, new this, new that. I'm teaching on Bible studies, and uh, last night we had more problems. And it, it, the camera just shuts off. Uh, it, it, it's just odd stuff that's going on constantly like this. So what, what yeah. do you think is going on in those in those moments? Or like... Uh... You think that like a demon is being permitted to circumvent normal processes of, of things or even like with a dream, like you got, how do you think through that mechanically of what's going on if you're experiencing spiritual warfare while you're sleeping? Well, you know, I used to be involved in the occult and I've seen materializations. I've seen things, experienced things. Uh, so there's, it's a real battle. Um, Maybe I'm not praying enough. Maybe there's, uh, well, because I'm a public figure, there could be lots of people praying against me yeah. or for me, against, and, and it, it's a deliberate malicious prayer. But for, for example, the Roman Catholics could be praying for my salvation to Mary, which is idolatrous. And so they could be uh, in contact without knowing it, demonic forces. So there could be a great deal of stuff going on. And, um, I don't want to get too spooky about this stuff, but this kind of thing has followed me. And I've got an interesting past. And even before I was born, things were happening. Mm -hmm. I've got some interesting stories about that. And so when I, I do what I do, I always, not always, but I prepare uh, for attacks because it's, it's going to come. And the, the, the video stuff and the Bible study stuff that I do on Thursday nights last night, I've never in my life encountered so many difficulties for so long. Hmm. It, it's just amazing. And uh, I'm still pushing through it and trying to get everything working. And it, it's just, it's been hard. Sisyphus is a Greek uh, guy whose job it was, was to put a rock, push a rock uphill. And it always falls, you know, Sisyphus. And uh, I'm pushing rocks uphill. Hmm. And so uh, it's like that. Uh, and I could get, I could whine about it, but it's been really, 
uh, very, very difficult for the past few months. So how do you how do you handle that? I mean, you're you're probably more well, I shouldn't say probably. I know you are more toward the charismatic side of things than I am. And I just uh, believe in the continuation of the gifts. I correct. Yeah, you know, I don't speak in tongues or anything like that. You know, right. Um, and I don't know how much that has to even do with this, really. But I mean, in your in your spot with your theological approach to life here, how do you respond to what you believe is ongoing spiritual warfare or deliberate attack against your ministry? Do you feel like you've got grounds to pray against it and that will solve it? Or I mean, how do you reconcile that? You know, it's interesting that you're talking about this, but this topic of spiritual warfare has been coming up more and more in the past two weeks. Yes, I agree. I've heard a lot more about it in the last couple of weeks. Wow. See, the reason I'm normally I would pause for a while and ponder that, but I don't want dead air. I do radio. I don't want dead air. But uh, generally speaking, the Lord will put it upon my heart to do something uh, by uh, disparate connections that have the same theme and then i that's how he works with me because my head is so my skull's so thick and my heart so hard i have to have a repeated uh insight so i'm thinking i may have to start doing some more spiritual warfare warfare research and work but this scares me because it just means you're opening the door uh to a further attack yeah and uh, but it, it's not going to stop me i'm going forward i'll just ask people to pray and and stuff so how do you deal with this uh well you never pray to demonic forces satan i rebuke you you never do that you always pray to the lord god and ask him to intercede ask him to work ask him to provide ask him to close ask him to open ask him to strengthen you to give you insights and this is what you have to do and so this is what i'll be doing more and more uh, and I kind of sense this. I'm not a charismatic guy. I sense as though that there, there's something coming, and there's there's a, a force or something, and need to battle through it and against it. Now, I, again, you know, I'm I'm a five point Calvinist, all millennial, pedal Baptist, non cessation, and uh, you know, I don't believe in this charismatic stuff swinging from the, you know, the the ceilings. I don't believe in that idiocy. Yeah, yeah wasn't trying to group you with <laughs> yeah. uh, you know the the bad end of that at all. Yeah. But, you know, I, I prophesied before and I've had words of knowledge before and, and I'm not boasting and that's not proof of anything. But uh, exegetically, I'm not convinced so that the spiritual and that kind of stuff is, is ceased. In fact, I think you'll see more and more of it in the Christian church as um, as the the apostasy approaches. And there's so many things interrelated. The apostasy is coming because the Christian church isn't doing its job, and more and more heresies are coming into the Christian church, and a lot of occult humanistic philosophy is being put into Christian churches, and they don't realize that it is. And so these are, are open doors for the occult manifestations to occur. Now, you know, I'm not t- trying to talk about super occult stuff and all this stuff, but these are just the, the dealings that we have to be aware of in the spiritual realm. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. We've got to realize that there is a spiritual war out there. You know, I was thinking, you know, what if, if uh, we could put on a pair of glasses, we could see the demonic and angelic forces around us. We'd be stunned at the activity that's going on. But we, because we're so acclimated to just a materialistic kind of a viewpoint and uh, the, the spiritual forces are working around us, so much so that we become uh, inoculated even from the idea of talking about it, particularly in my camp, in the Reformed camp. You know, I'm a five-pointer, five-point Calvinist. You don't talk about those kind of things, but I do. 
and uh, they're important. And particularly since I know I'm talking a lot here, but the, but particularly because of the work that I do, where it's a direct assault upon the demonic forces, but through against Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Islam, uh, Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy, atheism, evolution, uh, and varying things uh, that uh, I'm always under attack. There's always something coming. And so I'm just aware of it more than the average bear. That's all. So well, I don't want to sound like some charismatic guy, but you know. No, yeah, you're no uh, Bill Johnson and those guys out there in Reading or anything like that at all. They're heretics. Um, yes. Um, but it, it, there is something to, especially the more reformed you get, it does seem you can almost start living like a materialist, even though yeah. that is not your worldview. Right. You get so scared of any kind of, I don't know, spiritual stuff that, that you end up just kind of functioning like, a materialist and that that doesn't that's help a the good church. point that's a good point you're functioning as a materialist i talked to a lot of uh reformed people and you know they're covenantal and they're not dispensational but uh, but they're cessationists i say oh so you're a dispensationalist and they don't like that but it's the same kind of thing it's materialism and humanism creeping into the church too and we reform pope oh you got to make sure that that uh, you know, we don't say, well, we're not going to to fall or go into apostasy because we are reformed. And, you know, that kind of arrogance uh, is dangerous as well. At any rate, we're just, you know, an invitation. You know, well, it's just been a lot of stuff going on. It's a lot. I'm, I'm kind of. I was kind of surprised the other day on your on your show. I don't catch all of them, but um, I, I really appreciate actually on the RSS feed for the podcast for your show how it has the topics underneath. Um, so I look at the show notes uh, with Matt Slick Live and I see what topics are discussed. And if I find one or two interesting, I'll download it. And uh, you were talking about AI the other day, last week, I think sometime. And yeah. I'm, I was kind of surprised someone who is spiritually sensitive like you are to these things, you spoke kind of positively about AI. Yeah. And and I because I think a lot of Christians are seeing it as this is going to be an avenue for demons, basically. Well. Okay. So like when you called, I was working on, uh, on AI graphic generation. Hmm. Now, if you go into, to, uh, um, uh, another guy, I'll call him back. Uh, if you go into, um, Microsoft edge on the right hand side, there's a list of things and you can go in and generate traffic. You can uh, have a, ch a chat thing. You can ask questions. It does pretty well and go to chat GPT, which I've done and ask theological questions and it does pretty stinking well. Yeah. I, we, my, uh, my co-host uh, of the show, who's obviously not on today, he asked chat GPT about the do theology podcast and the response it gave blew me away. I mean, we're not, we're not a new podcast, but we're not huge. I mean, 650 people on average or so download. Uh, I could not believe how accurate of a response it gave. It's spooky. It is. It is. It's it's spooky. On, on these levels, not a problem. Not a problem on this level. Um, I spent some time a few months ago talking to an, uh, a PhD candidate in AI development. And he explained to me how it works and what AI is. And AI is logarithmic relationships that are designed and they go out and they scan large amounts of material information. They can do graphics, they can, uh, which is harder, but they can do written, which is a lot easier. And then the algorithms, what they do is they compile and by subjects and they put it together. 
that's not a problem. Okay, uh, in itself, it's not a danger to humanity. Like you know, it's going everything's gonna go Skynet. But the the uh, the problem, of course, uh, that could be used is someone's on their phone and taking a test, and they type it in and they get an answer, and they put the thing down. Uh, or you go home and do your homework, and you've done it with AI. Well, there's there's going to be ways to figure this out. They'll get around it. I'm not worried about that. But what we have to be concerned about is when AI is putting in control of uh, machinery and or technological advancements that influence us directly. Yeah. That's when we got to be careful. How do we know we're not already there? Um, we probably <laughs> already are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when you think about the ability of people to create, like say Twitter, fake Twitter accounts that are just AI bots that, yeah look real and interact like uh -huh. real people and potentially could be extremely influential with blue mm -hmm. check marks and the whole gamut. Um, yeah. How would we even know? Exactly. So someone's going to have to develop an AI that goes and wrestles against the fake AI. It'll happen. Now the buggy whip business went out because the cars came in. And buggies were obsolete. Well, that's a horrible thing because now the buggy whip people and the courses and all this are out of business and everything. Well, it produced a whole new technological necessity. Warfare uh, brings good and bad and, and advancements. So we can look at this this way. It's going to happen that way. But um, the question then, can, can AI become demonically possessed? That's the question. Yeah, right. And I don't know. Now, I, I do know enough to know that objects can have demonic association with them. And you can have, uh, someone can send you an object that, that was an, involved in occult stuff, like a Ouija board used by uh, a coven, you know, right. and they send it to you as a gift, knowing that it has attachments to it. And they, they, it's weird how it works, but it does. Hmm. Uh, and so can an AI enter into a sophisticated computer system i don't know the bible doesn't tell us so if it can then we we got to be careful of uh, the demonic skynet if it can't then uh, peripheral controls will be used by wicked individuals yeah. now if you were to look at what's happening to america obviously there's some wicked people in control of our country yeah. opening our borders destroying our our um our uh, power supplies in that uh, oil reserves, things like this. Uh, and there's so many things. I got a list of stuff that's been going on. The confusion of, of uh, gender, the brainwashing of children, the pushing of socialism. Obviously this is happening and it's under a, a control. So of, we go back further as a demonic influence working through his people, uh, the, uh, you know, Democrats and a lot of Republicans and a lot of uh, wicked people in high places. So are they using AI to control? That's that's another possibility. But how would we know? That's it. Are yeah. They, how, how would we ever discern that whenever it no. does such a good job coming across uh -huh. as real in the digital age where you don't have yeah. to have a human face in front of you, but now they can, yeah. uh, what's, what's it called? The, the way that they alter deep videos. Fake. Yeah. The deep fakes. Yeah. How would you ever know? 
That's one of the things I'm concerned about is people could take this video right here and yep. then make me say something I didn't say. And I'm already ready for that. It hasn't happened yet that I'm aware of. And what I will do is have to develop a, a AI response page on CARM and then put, this is not me, this is not this, this is not that. Well, I have a distinctive voice, so that's not easy to imitate. But uh, so I'm hoping that, that when AI does get to the point where it can imitate any voice and style, gesticulations, well, then uh, people will know uh, who I am enough to be able to say, is this true? In fact, uh, in different chat systems I'm in, every now and then someone will come in and imitate me. Mm -hmm. And even the atheists will be able to identify it's not really me. And I've actually been told by atheists, someone came in imitating you, but we knew it wasn't you. Even you know, it was by typing, we could tell. So it, it, it's good and bad, but um, we should be very concerned. We well, yeah. Be. I mean, yeah, because yeah. that's, that's now. Um, yeah. And things change so stinking quickly with this too i mean we're we're recording this mid-may this may not come out till august i don't know but it's like who knows in the next three months everything could be so far advanced down the road in ways that we can't even imagine right now i i saw last night uh google's ceo i guess they had one of their um events like steve jobs used to have all the time where he comes out on the stage and makes the announcements and stuff and uh, Google had one of those and they were rolling out some of their AI stuff and they rolled out for Gmail, the auto response generator, where mm -hmm. you just tell the bot what kind of response you want. Uh, I think the example they used was, uh, it was like an airline that reached out to you and said that your flight had to be canceled and um, they're going to reschedule you for a different flight. And you just type in, no, I want, ask it for a refund instead. And so it generates this email asking for a refund and then it says, no, make it longer. And then it makes it like three paragraphs instead of one on topic in their voice or whatever that sounds good enough to, to send off. And that is, well, that's wild. I mean, but that is the, going to be the new normal. I don't see any way around that. Right. And see, I like that kind of technology. I'm a tech nerd. So I have, right now in front of me, I have four, I can show you the camera, show you my setup, but I have four 27 inch 4k monitors and down below, I have a very sophisticated computer. And I have uh, tech stuff for radio right there. This is a wireless setup, and I'm saving up to get a foldable, open foldable phone when it comes out, uh, the Galaxy 5, so that I, I, cause I, I'm working on tech. Tech is, we use it for God's glory. It's very helpful. Those kind of things would be very helpful. You can do it. The problem is, uh, when someone is relying on it and the algorithms will, will, word things in such a way that you're not quite catching what's going on. And then you got to be careful because then there's liability issues of, of well, your chat bots that maybe say this when I thought it was right. There's going to be all kinds of complications and laws that come out. It's yeah, how, how complicated are the uh, user agreements going to be for all that stuff that you're not going to read? You're just going to check the box, but oh my word. I mean, that's a huge yeah. liability for these tech companies. If if they yeah. don't put the right legal verbiage in there. That's right. And so what I can do is go in to chat GPT and say, summarize the legal document, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it bullet, bullet oh. points and it'll do it. Wow. And uh, I've done it with articles I've written, summarize them. And it gave, in fact, it gave me a new idea. What I'm going to do is, is uh, go to chat GPT and say, summarize my article. What is a Trinity, for example? Mm. And then I'm not just going to trust it, but it'll give it some main points. And actually I was doing this for a little bit and I started, uh, then it became more work to check it against it. And I go, 
forget that. I'm just going to go through and, and pick mm-hmm. main points and do it that way. But it gave me an idea. There's a lot of good uh, with AI. There, there's uh, AI's past law uh, the, the bar, and AI is now giving uh, better diagnoses uh, oh, for medical right. conditions. So yeah, there's a lot that. of good. However, there's going to be bad people like AI. I, I have it right up here, and uh, you know I'm I'm trying to get something to work where I have a shield, a silver shield next to an old book on a white isolated background for an, a video intro I want to do, and I can't quite get it to look the way I want. Well, every now and then I'll see someone pop up, and I'll have a woman scantily clad, and you know. So yeah. you know there's going to have AI that oh. when they start getting video capability, you know what's going to happen. Oh, yeah, especially combine that with VR, and then you're off into, like, some very, very weird, sick sex stuff that's going to happen there. Absolutely. Here's my VR set. Okay, you got it. You're ready. Oh, yeah, I, I, I use tech. Uh, it's, it's very helpful. Now, what about, like... Okay, I think it was 60 Minutes that, did, uh, that was reporting on AI, and they use an example of how AI was designed by this, this one stream of AI was designed by whatever company. And then it was asked a question in, I think it was like Burmese, some language, a language that it had not been programmed to recognize, but it was able to scour enough information across the internet to recognize the question and answer intelligently in that language. So how should we think about AI being able to basically take over and it and then it's uncontrollable that's the question so when i was talking to this phd guy about ai we got into the discussion he's an atheist too um but we got into the discussion of ai that writes its own modifying algorithm code Mm -hmm. and when that happens that's when it's going to get bad I don't know if you've ever read uh, Isaac Asimov, a science fiction writer, and I recommend that people read him. He's an atheist. He's passed away. He's brilliant. But he wrote The Three Laws of Robotics, and he wrote the story iRobot. Will Smith played in the the cinematic form of it, iRobot. There's three laws of robotics. Well, the principle is that you encode into uh, a robot, an android, certain uh, parameters that restrict its ability to do and harm and things like that. Anyway, the idea here needs to be done with with, uh, AI. But how do you incorporate that? How do you incorporate a set of morals into uh, an algorithmic uh, setup? What does it mean? What is going to stop it from developing its own sense of morality based on popular opinion and whatever Mm -hmm. else gets tossed in? Yep. And the more control it gets, it it functionally becomes God for the people. Wow, I'm surprised you said that. Um, Have you heard of the series, the TV series called Person of Interest? I've heard of it, never seen it. Well, I'm watching it for the second time. It's five seasons. And uh, one of the nice things about being in your 60s, you can watch old shows over again and they're brand new. (laughs) But uh, it's about uh, a machine that has created an AI. It's created and uh, it gives numbers. And then uh, the characters, they they go through to find out why this uh, social security number, why of an individual, what's going on? Is he a bad guy, a good guy, protect, you know, and then it gets up. Well, I'm in the third or fourth season, fourth season, I think. And there's another uh, AI that's out called Samaritan. 
and Samaritan is now in control. And it is able to have people killed. It is able to uh, make their jobs go away. It's able to do all kinds of things that we don't want to happen. It creates emails. It can turn off your medicines. It can cause machines to go. Well, anyway, it's a personification of this very problem. And I'm very interested in it, it, it because of this uh, this topic. So I'm looking at it. And it's, of all things, called Samaritan. Yeah, right. You know, which I think was interesting. So it's coming. Now, some people wonder if AI might, might not be the beast mm -hmm. in Revelation. But a lot of people don't know this. But in the 60s, in the 60s, in the 80s, there was already a machine that was capable of keeping track of every human being in the world simultaneously and in micro super microseconds are, are simultaneous and they called it the beast. Wow. Oh yeah. So what is, what's the Christian's obligation here toward AI? I mean, if, if we were to give a sweeping statement, I mean, we're entering basically a new phase of human history. Uh, what, what's the Christian's obligation here? To pray, uh, to be the Christian's obligation is not what people want to hear, what we're called to do. It doesn't matter if it's AI or if it's a bad government or if it's whatever. The obligation we have as Christians is to to humble ourselves before God and ask to be used of God and to be changed and to be prepared for whatever it is that God would send us to do and to be in, whether it's in a Holocaust situation like Nazi Germany, where the atheists take over and they outlaw Christianity, whether Roman Catholicism take over and you have to bow to Mary, who knows, or AI takes over and we've got uh, Terminators walking around. Our obligation is always the same. What we're to do is to uh, bow the knee and bow the heart before our Lord and say, Lord, you are beyond all of these things. Send me into them uh, or protect me from them. Either Both. You pray and you ask to be shaped, to be made. Christians don't want to do that. They don't want to do what's necessary. Um, years ago, I asked God, I said, uh, do with me as you want. I don't care if I'm rich or poor, married, single, healthy, sick, here or there. It does not matter. You do with me as you desire, according to your will, whatever it might cost uh, and whatever it might uh, pain it might be uh, for me. I don't care. I just want you to do what you want. When Christians don't pray that, and if they do, I always warn, I suggest that to people in my radio show periodically. And I say, and if you do that, you better be careful because it'll happen. And the worst thing you got to deal with is not the AI and not the Holocaust and not the Terminators. It's your own heart. That's where the battleground truly is when you find out how arrogant you are, how prideful you are, how stubborn you are, how selfish you are. And the light of God's truth comes into you and starts changing you. Well, God in his great majesty and sovereignty is able to change you and shape you for the task at hand. So with the AI thing, what do we do as Christians? We start with ourselves in the, in the sense of repentance and hearing and being aware. Because a lot of times what Christians want to do when they pray is say, Lord, protect me. 
and then they go out to a football game or drink some beer or whatever it is. But they don't say, Lord, do with me as you want and use me, because the command that we have is to go out and make disciples of all people and all nations. That's the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And then Jesus says in, in Matthew 16, 18, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Right. The church is supposed to be aggressive. The church is supposed to be moving forward, and we're supposed to be doing that. But to do that, we have to pick up the cross daily, Luke 19.20, I think it is, and go after Christ. And if we don't do that, we're not worthy of him. But people don't realize that in Christianity, it is not a hammock theology. It is a warring theology. It is aggressive, but it's done in love and patience and kindness. So what do we do about AI? We realize that the situation around us is always changing. Wherever we are, whatever century we are, we're to pray for the same thing. The God to use us, indwell us, to send us, to change us, to shape us. Now, specifics then come up about particular things. So in this regard, we have to be careful and make sure that you have good virus protectors on your machine. Have a VPN, a virtual private network that you are using. You care, be careful about what you say. Don't type things out uh, that you think um, isn't a big deal. Be careful of what you say and what you what you work. In fact, I've said so many things over the radio that they're aware of who I am and what I can say and do, and and I'm waiting for them to come arrest me. I mean, I call it the Biden crime family. Uh, that's what I say in the radio because it's true. So what's what's happening? Uh, the generics versus the particulars. I gave the generics particulars uh, occur when you are sitting there in front of your computer. Uh, how much do you adopt uh, AI principles and things? You got to become educated and stuff. And I need to find books that are where people have already researched this and read them because I'm supposed to research everything <laughs> for everybody. Well, I mean, it, just like a, a minute ago, you were talking about how there's a, a fear that Christians have that this AI stuff goes right into the beast, mark of the beast, mm -hmm. end times, real deal, tribulation stuff coming. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's now, coming. But, but in one sense, we've been aware of that for 2,000 years, right? That it's coming. Um, in another sense, we've been aware of that, particularly the last maybe 40 years, 50 years, there's mm -hmm. been a more of an emphasis on, on this happening because of yeah. uh, many dispensational influences. And so how, how do we balance the, we're going forth into it, asking God to protect us. Yet at the same time, we're freaking out a little bit because we're seeing it develop before our very eyes. And we think we're scared for our kids. We're scared for our grandkids, that sort of thing. I mean, where's the balance there? Balance. You ever see the movie Aliens? Uh, the balance was run and scream over there, run and scream over there. and uh, Equal opportunity, run and screamer. <laughs> that, that's right. What's the plot? Run, square. <laughs> and uh, so I teach what's called depressed catology. Mm. Uh, and I'm an amillennialist, and I can defend it. Uh, and I reject a pre-tribulation rapture. I, I think it's detrimental. And uh, I know I'm stepping on toes with people when I say that nothing in Scripture says we're getting out of here beforehand. Mm. I've seen the arguments. I've seen the Scriptures. And I can make a very, very good argument right out of Matthew 24 uh, and others about we're going through it. And so 
Now I am pre-trib, so I'm kind of wanting okay. to debate you on that a little bit. Please do. No, that's fine. We can do it lovingly and patiently. <laughs> uh, but you'll you'll never find uh, anything like that. I, I could show you stuff if you want to talk about. It, we can. But the things that are are to accompany us uh, at the end times are is a presence of false Christ and false prophets, war, persecution right. of the faithful, apostasy, lawlessness will increase, earthquakes, famine, increase in selfishness, love of self, money, pleasure, etc., mocking of Christ, an increase in knowledge, rise of spiritism, decay of marriage, false teaching, the gospels preached to the whole world. It goes on and on. Now, the reason I'm against um, uh, preacher rapture is not because I don't like it. it I, I Primarily, I don't see it in Scripture. And I've got some very good arguments that we're going to go through stuff. I can show you stuff. If you want to take 10 minutes, I can show you stuff that most, most people don't don't know is there. But um, what I don't like is the condition. Ouch, heart just skipped. Ah, too much caffeine. Okay. Uh, I don't like the condition of the Christian church today, which says the blonde hair, blue-eyed Caucasian surfer Jesus is right. standing at the door of your heart asking permission for you to let him in. And it's up to you and your wisdom. And it's up to you and your free will. And all you need is the right information. That's arrogant. And uh, because we live in America, God's not going to let us go through things. We have been so privileged. We're so um, isolated that, well, obviously, uh, God, you know, not destined us for wrath, but for salvation, right? So we're not going through the tribulation for wrath, Second Thessalonians 2, 9, except that's not about tribulation, which is flipsis. It's uh, something else. It's about the juxtaposition of wrath and salvation is damnation and salvation. You don't think it's about the day of the Lord in First uh, Thessalonians 5, 9? Well, if you want to go to the day of the Lord, I'll, I can bury yeah. free trade with it. First Thessalonians but, 5, 9, it's about the day of the Lord, the wrath of the day of the Lord, right? Is Isn't it that the context of first S five? Okay. I guess we're on. Right. So, uh, <laughs> a little bit. Um, so, uh, he's not destined us to, uh, wrath, but salvation in the, uh, the Jewish system. Um, uh, and it does talk about the day of the Lord. And, the, and so the, the day of the Lord is, there's only one day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is the same day as the rapture. It's the same day as the resurrection. And uh, since it's the day of the Lord in Second First uh, Thessalonians 5, in the context of that day of the Lord, which is the return of Christ, it says we're not destined for wrath, but for salvation. So one of the Jewish things that people don't, aren't aware is juxtaposition. So if you go, for example, to uh, Isaiah 45, 7, uh, it's a verse that I'm very familiar with because of some other theological heresies. Uh, God is the one forming light and creating darkness, mm -hmm. opposites, light and darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. The word calamity is ra'ah, which is also translated as the word evil. And so it, the idea is juxtaposition, and that's what's going on. Uh, for God has not destined us, appointed us for the purpose of wrath, but for salvation. So salvation is, has to do with the deliverance from the wrath of God because we're by nature children of wrath, Ephesians 2, uh, 3. And so uh, that's what it talk. It's not talking about pre-tribulation stuff. It's, it's, that's just not the context and the topic. Yeah. Well, the um, to me, I've understood that as, you know, the day of the Lord is going to be the outpouring of God's wrath. And uh, on the face of the earth, as expounded upon uh, in the events of Revelation, but of course in other places too. 
because uh, yeah. it's his day, it's his wrath, uh, his holy, just wrath against sin on the face of the earth. And yeah. uh, then the church won't be receiving his wrath against sin since we are, since we're saved. That's kind of how I thought through that. Yeah, that's what they uh, teach. Uh, but uh, let, me, let me, I have a lot of notes on something. I'll show you something. Um, the eschatological position taught by Paul and Jesus is the two-age model. Are you familiar with it? Yes, it's been a while since I've read up on it, but yes, the two-age model, I've heard about it, yep. Yeah, that's the model that Jesus uses. That's the model Paul the Apostle uses. That's what it is. This age and the age to come. Yeah, that's exactly correct. So there's only two ages, this age and the age to come. You can go to my website and look up uh, the article, uh, an examination of this age and the age to come in support of all millennialism. I don't care if you're all male or, or not, but it's just uh, someone asked me about it, and I, I did this. Uh and uh, there's two ages. In this age, there's a blasphemy will not be forgiven, but also in the age to come, it won't be. In this age, we're marrying and given marriage, but not in the age to come. In this age, there's uh, evil in this present age. Uh, there's rulers of this age. There's a God of this age. There's wisdom of this age. So at the end of this age, that's the thing we have to watch for. And so uh, at the end of the age is when the wicked are gathered. Because they ask in Matthew 24, what's the sign of your coming and the end of the age? The disciples uh, even knew about this. So it's a Jewish concept, the end of the age. But it's not a concept taught in churches today. And I'll show you some stuff here in a little bit. And the judgment of the wicked also occurs at the end of the age. Now, you've heard this this uh, this idea, two men in the field, one is taken, one is left. Yeah. That's the rapture, right? No, not a rapture. That's no, second not. coming, because the yeah. uh, the and that the wicked are taken, so it can't right. be a rapture. Yeah, right. Very good. Same with uh, wheat and tears. I guess you've heard me talk about this. Oh, I just read my Bible. Hold on. My wife is she okay? Are you okay? Oh, okay. All right. See ya. Bye. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, that that was could... a look of terror. She has medical issues, and oh, okay. um, and she's had twenty five surgeries. She's got some issues, and it sounded like uh, she might have been in distress. And I have eighty decibel ringing in my ears, so she has to yell loudly. Mm. Uh, and so it's just I got you know. I, <gasps> so anyway, yeah, yeah, we're all good. It's all good. Then good. So um, this age and age to come, and uh, so when you go to the wheat and the tares, the first ones taken are the wicked, not the good. Yeah, right. And so. I've been teaching this for years, and if it's pre-tribulation rapture, you have a problem because um, this is all relevant to AI because we've got to be ready to go through it. Because the wicked are gathered at the end of the age, and the first ones gathered are the wicked at the end of the age. In Matthew 24, Luke 17, two men in the field, one is taken, one is left. That's the wicked who are taken. I'm glad you see that. And where they're taken is where the body is, the vultures gathered. They're taken to a place of judgment. Well, it's a second coming passage, not a rapture passage. Yeah, but the rapture, here's the thing, is that the elect are gathered at the end of the age, and that's the rapture. There's only one rapture, and you go to First I, Thessalonians. I don't think that's talking about the rapture, though. You can have the elect gathered at the end of the age at the second coming, right? Uh, there will the be feet. elect during the tribulation. Okay. Um, <clears throat> the elect are gathered at the end of the age, mm -hmm. right? And the elect uh, are gathered on the last day. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's the last day is also called the day of the Lord. So I can read you the scriptures. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, the, so the wicked are gathered and the judgment of the wicked occurs on the last day. Okay. okay. 
Yeah, right? I'm with you. Okay. And the elector gathered on uh, the, the, the end of the age, at the end of the age. <clears throat> and the harvest is also at the end of the age. Okay. Okay. And so the wicked are gathered, the judgment of the wicked occurs, the elector gathered, and the harvest occurs at the end of the age. Mm -hmm. And Jesus' return occurs at the end of the age. Yep. And the rapture occurs before the return of Christ. Yes. Right? Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> now, the resurrection occurs on the last day, which is concomitant with the judgment of the wicked, which is when the wicked are gathered and the elect are gathered. The, well, the, there's uh, resurrection happens in stages, right? There's one, uh, there's a, a double resurrection in the sense that the ones who are alive and remain are yep. caught up after the, the resurrection of those mm -hmm. who died in faith, but it happens within one second or one minute, whatever it is, but it mm -hmm. happens right there. Okay? Right. Yeah. So you could, we can functionally say it's one event even is broken up, but you know, you get the idea. But would, right? would, would you say that that event, so you're, you were just referencing first Thessalonians four there. Would you say that that's the same event as John 14, where Christ says he's going to come back and gather them to himself, that where he is, there may, they may be also? Because mm -hmm. don't they go, uh, as Jesus described it there, don't don't we go to the Father's house where there are many dwelling places from there? Yeah, that's a wedding feast analogy is what he's talking about there. Mm -hmm. And that the wedding feast, uh, the groom would send out the trumpeters to go get the bride and bring them back to the house or the addition of the house that was used uh, to be built on uh, the father's house. So he's, it's an allusion to the wedding feast, and it's a one-time event. And, but where's and, that wedding feast going to take place? Where's the father's house? In, in oh, your but in heaven, in heaven, you know. So, so that means heaven. we're taken out of the earth and we're in heaven with him at that point. Mm -hmm. okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Right. There's more coming. And uh, so the resurrection occurs uh, on the last day, which is a day of the Lord, which is also the last trumpet. But all of those occur at the same time of uh, the judgment of the wicked and the elect because they all occur at the end of the age. There's only two ages. And the rapture is uh, after the tribulation, according to Jesus. Where where did he say that? Matthew 24. That the elect being gathered after the time of tribulation, that's what you're referencing? Uh -huh. Yeah. But why does that have to be um, the—why why does that have to negate a pre-tribulation rapture of those who are saved uh, at the time that he comes to gather them to take them to the Father's house? How many raptures are there? Well, there's only one rapture, but is one. this? But it's not harpazo there in uh, Matthew 24 about gathering the elect, right? It's not a catching up. Doesn't matter. You can use a, different words to describe the same event. But, so the but elect gathering doesn't gathered. necessarily mean catching up, right? It does in First Thessalonians, right? Well, that's harpazo. That's the word for catching uh -huh. up. Yeah. But Matthew 24 talks about gathering them together, not them going to the clouds. But his return is in the clouds. In Acts 1, 9 to 11, the prophecy of the angels is that this Jesus whom you've seen go up into the sky mm -hmm. in the cloud will come back the same way. And in Matthew 24, uh, he returns uh, in, from the clouds. But there's a return where his feet go on the Mount of Olives, according to Zechariah 14. And, yep. and the one that's described in John 14, where Jesus says, I'm coming back to gather you to myself and take you back into heaven his feet aren't coming down to earth on that one. And that's yeah. what I'm saying is a rapture passage and feet touching Mount of Olives is second coming passage. 
Yeah. I haven't pulled out the big guns yet. So we're going through this because there's a way to prove this doesn't work. But uh, Jesus says in Matthew 24, 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, etc. And the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Now, what the pre-tribbers say is that there's two returns of Christ, a partial return and a full return. That he kind of comes and then he gets people, takes them out. And then he comes back again. Right. Yeah, except there's only one return of Christ. There's never two. But he comes back with his saints, so he's got to get them at some point. Absolutely, because the word that's used about uh, in the Greek um, about going to out to meet and, right. and like meeting also the is royal using, and then all coming back. right. That's how it is. So we we caught up to meet him and we return right there. So and so that's that's so, not a so you're saying there's a there are two comings too. It's just a momentary nope. stop on the way down. Well, I'm saying it's no, a no, seven no, year no, stop. No, 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 no. Yeah, you say a seven year <laughs> stop. <laughs> so. He says, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with great power and great glory. That's the prophecy of his return. So this is talking about his return. And it says, and he will send forth his angels of the great trumpet. A great trumpet upon the return of Christ is when they'll gather the elect. But but didn't you great already trumpet. say, though, like uh, John 14, he's gathering us and then we're going to heaven. Well, hold on. The trumpet occurs. That's the last trumpet. That's at the return of Christ after the great tribulation, the great trumpet. Are you correlating first, Paul in First Corinthians 15 to Revelation, the seven trumpets of Revelation? No. Okay. So First Thessalonians 4, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, the dead in yes. Christ will rise first. So there's one trumpet blast that comes out, not one seven years and then seven years later. There's And there's a logical problems with that as well, because if it happens seven years, you'll know exactly when Christ is going to return. But that's another problem. So... Well, the no, trumpet. because you don't. The tribulation doesn't start with the rapture. It starts with the signing of the treaty. Okay. Then but, you'll, when the treaty is signed, you'll know how the seven years of the day. Yeah. But right, here's right. the thing: with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God. So the trumpet of God is when the dead in Christ rise first. In Christ is a term of federal headship of representation. So they're they're going to rise. That means the people who died in faith are going to rise. Then we who are alive and remain will be cut up together and meet them in the air. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what it says. And then he says, as to the times of the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be taught to you, for you know you know so first well that the day of the Lord come like a thief in the night. So the day of the Lord that comes like a thief in the night, right? That's the rapture, right? Uh, well, no, the day of the Lord isn't talking about the rapture. No, the, the day of the Lord isn't the rapture. That's what he says it is. You, if you go to First Thessalonians 4, starting yeah. at verse 16, and ignore the chapter break, he says, he says, uh, we who are alive and remain, but caught up mm-hmm. together with them in the clouds, meet them in the air. And so we'll always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Mm-hmm. Now, as to the times and the epics, brethren, he's talking about what he just said. Yep. You have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord. That's what he's talking about. The rapture is the day of the Lord. But I don't Absolutely. think it's, but he was, uh, of course, someone who was well-versed in the Hebrew Old Testament that talked a lot about the day of the Lord, which encompasses far more than the mystery of being caught up together with Christ. That was the new revelation that he had received as a mysterious thing that the Old Testament didn't touch on. And okay. so he he introduces that. But the Old Testament, I mean, Obadiah, Isaiah, several mm-hmm. Old Testament prophets talk about the day of the Lord and that talks about his wrath being poured out on the face of the earth and Israel being <clears throat> saved during that time. I think when he's using that term, he has all that in view too, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah. It could be a small period of time. It could be a larger period of time. Right. Yeah. But the day of the Lord is when the judgment of the good occur. The day of the Lord. And that's uh, 1 Corinthians 1 8. 
uh, blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus. And uh, then John 12, 48, he who rejects me does not receive my sayings, has when a judge comes, the word I spoke will judge him at the last day. Mm -hmm. So the judgment occurs at the last day. There's only one, the last day. The day of the Lord, we can understand, is a single event period or a larger period. Right. But when the day of the Lord is spoken of with a singular event, then it's a limited time frame. So when the day of the Lord is talked about with... Uh, <laughs> excuse me, a judgment. We know the judgment's going to occur quickly and it's going to be at the day of the Lord, which occurs on the last day, which is also at the end of the age. Okay. To, so the day of the Lord is also when the resurrection occurs because that's what he says in First Thessalonians 4. We who are alive remain to be caught up. That's a resurrection. The time now this happens this is the day of the lord so what he's referring to is not a large period but an event the rapture occurs quickly twinkling of an eye out of first Corinthians 15 so the restriction of the term day of the lord in this context means a very short period of time so the day of the lord there uh is also dealing with when the, when the rapture occurs and <clears throat> there's a, a slight little issue here but the day of the, that day of the lord will come like a thief right so there's a specific uh, uh, appellation or uh, a modification put on that phrase, a day of the Lord, that comes like a thief in the night. That phrase doesn't occur anyplace else except one other place. And it's in Second Peter 3.10. The day of, yeah, the day of the Lord and the day of God in that chapter, right? Mm-hmm. It says the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The same phraseology is used in which the heavens will pass away with roar and the elements will be destroyed. So if the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night of First Thessalonians, in the night isn't mentioned in Second Peter 3. I believe it's because the earth is round, sun on one side, dark on the other. And it's just the day of the Lord comes like a thief. That's a phraseology. That's a specific uh, one event. And what happens is that that day of the Lord is the same time when the rapture occurs, when the new heavens and new earth are made. So the millennium collapses and is gone. It can't be yeah. a thousand years, literal thousand year period, because those two events, you'd have to say that the day of the Lord's coming like a thief are two different events. But it's, but it's in singular. It's one. Furthermore, the day of the Lord that comes like a thief at which new heavens are made is also <clears throat> when the rapture occurs, which also is when the resurrection and the judgment occur. Everything occurs at the end of the age. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we still have to deal with uh, some passages here. Like, I don't know. I, I still am not quite sure what you're saying about John 14, where Jesus says, we're taking, okay. I'm taking you to my father's house where there are many dwelling places. He's going to gather us to himself to take us to the father's yes. house, which is not in this world. It's where he was going right. after his resurrection. And so um, how does that fit in with your model there? Perfect. So the Lord comes back mm -hmm. in the, in the heavens, the rapture occurs, the, those who are alive remain, uh, well, the, the resurrection of, of the, the pre how am I saying the resurrection of those who died in faith mm -hmm. precedes those, uh, the resurrection of us. And hopefully, Oh, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Um, uh, then we get raptured. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
And then, uh, well, you believe he, we're getting raptured, just oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then he puts he puts his uh, touches down on the Mount of Olives because this is the prophecy. I've been there. I was just there about two months ago on the Mount of Olives, incidentally, wondering where's it going to happen. But uh, and then the, the split occurs and things like this, and the judgment occurs. And and when this occurs, the wicked have to already have been taken out and removed. But what, because, but he, he's not going to the Mount of Olives in that event. He's taking us to the Father's you know? house because he says he's taking us to his Father's house where he's going. Yeah, what they would do is go in the wedding feast. You would go get the bride. You go to where the bride is. Uh -huh, right. Go to that location, and then once that was accomplished, you would return. This incidentally, this is oh, just a trivia okay. note. Oh, that's how it was. It's a trivia note that no man knows a day nor the hour. That's part of this whole thing. This is a trivia note that the the, the son had to build an addition on a, a house of his father, and they would have to know when the wedding was going to occur because the relatives came in. You know, and you had to have the food, you had to have the wine, all this stuff. And it was an idiomatic expression when this bridegroom's friends would the bride the groom's friend would say, "When are you going to go get the bride?" No man knows the day nor the hour, but the father alone. It's an idiomatic expression. It didn't mean they didn't know. It just meant that it was up to the Father's purview on when he would decide when it would occur. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tangent. So this is all wedding feast uh, language. That he goes to get the bride, meets the bride, and then returns to the bride with the end. So he so can the Father's come here. house is on the earth. No. Why would you say that? The earth is going to be destroyed with intense heat. Okay, so he gets the bride, and where do we go? I'm, I'm just trying to follow. Back what to heaven. Okay, and then what do we do in heaven, and how long are we there? Oh, we're there for eternity. I don't know how you are going to be. I'm going to be for eternity with my Lord. <laughs> when do we come to the new earth? That's a question. That that one I don't have figured out, period. Okay. I mean, when I – excuse me. Uh, I mean, what I was thinking of is the new Jerusalem coming okay. down. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. I don't have that figured out. The new heavens and new earth occur then with the day of the Lord to come like a thief. That's when the new heavens and new earth are made, which is when Jesus Christ returns. So he returns, he gets his church, he touched down a amount of olives as a prophecy is. They they ascend into heaven, new heavens, new earth is made. The judgment of the, well, let me back up. Uh, I just was at in Israel and uh, saw the Valley of Armageddon. Have you ever been there? Just curious. No, I would love to go. Oh, dude, it's, you got to go, man. It'd be great. Got to save up for like 10 years to be able to go, though. That's always so yeah, expensive. It's like five grand. And uh, yeah, well, I was only able to go because of some other stuff. At any rate, so. You went with Eric, right? Eric Johnson? Yeah, yeah. yeah he's a good I, friend of mine. Yeah, I like Eric a lot. Yeah, he's a good guy. He, he's great. We're going to uh, Footsteps of Paul next year. We're going to Turkey. Then we're going to Greece. Then we're going to go to Italy. So I'm looking mm, forward to that. That's going to be awesome. So. The uh, the new heavens and new earth. So what I was actually thinking about doing sometime is writing, uh, writing out a timeline of when this occurs. Because what convinces me that there's no thousand-year reign is because the day of the Lord comes like a thief. That's when the rapture occurs. It's also when the new heavens and new earth are made. I'm sorry, but there's just no room for a literal thousand years. I just – I don't see how anybody could get around that personally. But uh, the the exact – how it works, I don't know, exact details – but the wicked are going to be taken first. I'm glad you agree with that. Yep. And Christ is going to come back. So I think it's going to ha happen. Oh, here, let me just back up, give you the 20,000-mile view. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Um, in Genesis 2.17, uh, God says to Adam, in the day that you eat of the fruit, you're going to die. And I ask people, did he die that day? 
And people go, no, he didn't. I go, oh, God made a mistake? What are you saying? Mm-hmm. Of course he did. The death that he talked about was spiritual death, and the manifestation of it physically occurred hundreds of years later. I suspect, and I'm not going to die in this hill, but I am suspecting that what's going on is that uh, he was speaking not only to Adam, but all of us in Adam, Hmm. all of mankind. So federal headship, Jesus, uh, Adam represented everybody, but Jesus only represented his people. And I can make the case from that, from scripture. But at any rate, the day that you eat will die, wages of sin is death. In Matthew 24, 22, this is my position I lean towards. So I'm not going to, like I said, not going to die in this hill, you know. Uh, Matthew 24, no, no, I hit 24, 24, 22, okay. Is it 20, 24, 22? Unless those days have been cut short, no life, the word in Greek is sarx, no flesh, mm-hmm. would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be short. So I don't know if this is right, but here's what I'm suspecting is going to happen. Adam, sin entered the world through Adam, Romans 5, 12. Things are just going to get bad, 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 worse, 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 to the point where we're going to kill ourselves. Mankind is going to destroy itself, nuclear, biological warfare, whatever it is. And that right before that happens, right before it happens, is the gigantic, I told you so, uh, event of Christ returning. If no, if these days are not cut short, no flesh would be saved. Right? Does it? What does it mean? I'm not saying I know exactly no, but I'm going. Does that mean that there's going to be a universal death? I, I don't know. And so now I'm really going to stretch this, but you're going to you'll probably a smile universal about this death. One. What is that? Universal mean? physical just, death. So just like humanity wiped out. Humanity is going to wipe itself out, given its natural course of events. Because the wages of sin is death. Mm-hmm. We've we've rebelled against God, usurped his position, and the, the con- consequence is death. Mm-hmm. And so with federal headship where the male represents the descendants, I can teach you on that if you want, but Adam represented us, you know, to give you the verses and show you, was God pre-incarnate Christ there speaking to Adam and thereby all, to all of us? It's just a question, and and I believe there's some truth to it. I'm not going to hang everything on this. And so those days would not cut short. No flesh should be left. Well, that makes sense. Now, am I right? I don't know. But it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Armageddon is uh, the event where I'm glad you acknowledged that two men are t- taken. One is left. Uh, one is taken. One is left. Yeah. Where are they taken? Well, the answer is the question in Luke 17, where the body is the vultures gather. Now, here's for fun. You go to Luke 16. I mean, Revelation 16. We haven't 16. been having fun already? Oh, this is extra fun. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, this is extra fun. Uh, Revelation 16, 13. I saw, oh, I'm going to stretch this a little bit, but but you never know. Yeah, sure. Uh, I saw coming out of the mouth, out of the dragon, the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophets, three unclean spirits like frogs to mm-hmm. gather them together for Armageddon. Frogs hop, one taken, one left. Could it be that the imagery is being chosen for that reason because the wicked are gathered before the Christians are at the end of the age, which is the judgment, which is when the new heavens, new earth are made. And what happens is this. Now I've said that Adam blew it. The culmination of all things is going to be 
the wiping out of, of, of humankind, maybe not every individual, every cell, every whatever, every microbe, I don't know, but it's, it's, that's it, self-destruction. Yeah. And so right before that happens, the wicked are going to be gathered in the Armageddon uh, to have battle there, and there'll be a kind of a rapture, a transport. They're gathered to the place of destruction, and they're, they're hoisted over there, and the battle occurs, and they get the judgment that they were pursuing. Hmm. And then we are, then Christ comes, comes back, he, he gets, the resurrection occurs, then we who are alive remain caught up, he touches the Mount of Olives, I don't know how that exactly worked out yet, the new heavens, I mean, the, all, it breaks open, and then we go up because things are being remade, the judgment occurs, the damnation occurs, etc. That's my, that's where I'm leaning. Wow. Well, okay, I, <laughs> I've got two responses to that. Wow is right. <laughs> I'm the only one I know who holds this, and that scares me. That's not a good sign. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I, I, okay. Two responses. One, I'm glad you're not going to die on that hill. Yeah, not die on that hill. Not, not, not. I'm still working through it. But my my second response is, it's clear by everything you just explained. You are not an optimistic amillennialist. No, I'm a pessimistic amillennialist who teaches depressed catology. Okay, because it, it is kind of becoming popular now with the rise of post-millennialism yes. for people to say who are more amill saying, well, but I'm an optimistic amill. I hope the post-mills are right. Um, they they never say that hoping that the pre-trib dispensationalists are right. It's always hoping that the post-millennialists are right. But but you're not there. You, you don't. How can you say that? It's going to get bet. And... And check this out. Second Thessalonians 2, right? Now, now, and this is something we have in common. We believe the we're going down. The world is going it's on a downward it's trajectory. Bad. Yes, yes. Well, what, you know, Second Thessalonians 2 is not what people talk about very often in regard to this. But, uh, you know, the day of the Lord. Don't be deceived that the coming of our Lord. Well, I'll read this. Now we request you, brethren, for regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him. The, the return, the coming of our Lord, and our gathering, okay? It's a, a single event, okay? That Well, they go together. That you be not quickly shaken about this as if the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So the return of Jesus, the coming of our Lord, and our collective is called the day of the Lord. All right. We already know that it has to be a single day, a single event from earlier. Let, this is what gets me. Let no one we deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. Yeah, right. Now, the apostasy has occurred in Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy, and it's occurring in, in Protestantism. And I can tell you're already, you know, there's a lot of crap being taught in Protestantism. Oh, oh yeah. There is. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. He, you know, it goes to the temple displaying himself as being God. Okay. There has to be an apostasy, which I believe is only that the Antichrist can't come until the Christian church goes apostate. Mm. Now, it doesn't mean every individual. Or gets uh, raptured, but yeah, I agree with you. Or gets raptured. That'd be nice. <laughs> it would be nice if we got out of here. I don't like what I teach. Yeah. It would be. But, but, but either way, Christian influence has to be zilch. And it's basically zilch now. And why? There's a lot of factors because we're teaching the name it and claim it. Jesus is the blonde haired, black Caucasian surfer dude. And I think the pre trip rapture could be. I got to be careful when I say this because I've said this before. I try to be fair that it could be used detrimentally. It yes, doesn't oh, mean it for that you reject it. Right. Just like post trip could be used. Well, it's going to get so bad, just run to the hills. Yeah. Everything could, you know, it could be. Okay. 
So but the idea in the Christian church overall is we go, we get up to our electric uh, coffee makers going off, nice smell of coffee. We microwave our breakfast and we go in our GPS guided air conditioned cars and we go to the parking lot of our, our church, which has a nice entrance sign. We get a nice people with a dress nice and then here's a nice bulletin, sit down in a nice comfortable pews with air conditioning and get the, the nice message about how Jesus loves you. Now go out to uh, lunch and get fed by others. This is our Christianity. It's not my Christianity. Yeah, my I, I Christianity. Just saw last night, yeah. Christians in India hiding in the jungles because of what's yeah. happening in India right now, and the disconnect that we have as American Christians is wild. We have a Friday meeting this morning. We had it, but our guy from Nigeria didn't show up, and I can't help but wonder if he's, if he's still alive. And he keeps telling us how the Christians are being murdered by the Muslims there. <sighs> So we have there's a mentality here in Chris, in America of comfort, and it's not because of pre-trib. It's it's not because of post-trib. It's not all male pre-mill. We're just taught this comfort crap. Get off your lazy rears, I tell people. Get out there into the world because the gospel that offends nobody is not the gospel of the Bible. You know, I've been swatted. Okay, you know what that is. Yeah, right. I've had people follow me. I've been threatened with death. Um, my one of my daughters was almost abducted by a guy imitating uh, FBI, mm. and he had kill stuff with him. Uh, so we've we've got stuff going on. Uh, there's all kinds of probably talked about at the beginning of the show the spiritual battle we're undergoing. This is hard. This is the Christian life, and I teach the presbyology, and I honestly hope you're right. Mm -hmm. I really do you can rub it in on the way up you were wrong oh thank you i was wrong <laughs> but what i see is yeah. apostasy wars tribulation yeah. running for the hills like they did in aliens scream run it's bad because the enemy is coming after you is very powerful we take a mark of the beast and the whole thing and it all occurs on the day of the lord the end of the age it's gonna be bad well i'm curious since we're here in second thessalonians 2 what your view is, especially because we were just talking about AI and everything, if this even ties in, in your view or what, but verse 11, God will send upon them a deluding influence oh, yeah, 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 so that they yeah. will believe what is false. I mean, talk about getting depressed here. How depressed do you want to make this? What's your interpretation of that? <laughs> well, people bring that verse up and um, they accuse God of unrighteousness. That's a whole nother tangent and topic, but uh, it's on the unbelieving world. And it's against those. The only reason we're saved is because God elected us from the foundation of the world in Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1, 4. And he grants that we have faith. Philippians 1, 29, the faith is in Christ because it's the work of God that we believe in Christ. That's John 6, 28, 29. And we're granted repentance, 2 Timothy 2, 25. Right. And we come to Christ because it's been granted by the Father that we come to him, John 6, 65. So the reason I went to that is because I want people to understand this is what God does. He does this to his people. Those who are not the elect, they get parables so that they will not be saved. That's Mark 4, 10 through 12. Jesus speaks in parables so people will not be saved. Yes. Mark 4, 10 through 12. All right. So there's two classes of people, the elect, the non-elect, the predestined for salvation, those not. And you go to Romans chapter 9, verses uh, 9 through 23. We can exegete that if you want. So here we go. So he sends a deluding influence upon whom? The non-elect so that they will believe the lie. Why would that be the case? God has a purpose for bringing them, I suspect, to the culmination of the all things for the great day 
that's going to occur in the judgment when the wicked are getting hoisted by their own petard. I think that's what's going on. Do you think it's happening even now, especially as we consider um, the king's heart is in the Lord's hand? He turns it wherever he wishes. Uh, Proverbs 21. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that's those two things, those two ideas are tied together, like even in our our leadership today in our country? I mean, do you think that kind of stuff's going on? Uh, Yeah, because the Christians aren't doing their job. Hmm. The Christians aren't doing their job. See, I'm not saying go out and, uh, and get martyred. But the Christians in the United States, we bicker. See, you and I aren't bickering about pre or post yeah. mill or, or pro trib rapture. And I hope you're right. And I hope you say that you hope I'm wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, we both agree with that. Yeah. yeah and yeah. we're joking. And you and I who out witness together yep. and worship next to each other uh, in a church service and, and whatever. Okay. But well, there's so much division in the body of Christ. I'm sorry, you're pre-trib, I can't talk to you. Oh, sorry, you're post-trib, I can't talk to you. You're mill. How stupid can you be? You're a five-point Calvinist? What is wrong with you? And this attitude comes out, and we separate, we isolate ourselves. In fact, I heard a very interesting side note of something. This is I know I'm talking a lot, taking a lot of tangents here, oh, but uh, that's my wife says, thank you. And so on the uh, series, the movies, uh, Planet of the Apes, where Charlton Heston was in, they, they, I watched this thing about behind the scenes. It was whatever. They made a comment that was fascinating. They had different makeup guys. They do hundreds of people doing makeup all at once to get the orangutans, the gorillas, and the chimpanzees in their makeup. And they would take two to three hours, four hours to put this on. They had hundreds doing it. And then they would work and it was sometimes hot. And so in this makeup, so they would take breaks and they'd go eat lunch. And to their surprise, all the people who were as chimpanzees grouped and all the people who were orangutans grouped and the gorillas grouped and the people grouped by themselves. And it happened every time. Wow. They would take breaks. Fascinating. We group with the thing we're comfortable with and look like and sound like. So therefore, uh, I'm sorry, but uh, you're so stupid that you believe in preacher rapture. I can't fellowship with you. That's the sinful attitude that happens, not so much so blatantly, but sometimes underneath. And so we're divided and that's what Satan wants. Mm -hmm. And so we're now, and with that, well, how's my bank account? How's my, you know, God's going to bless me. The blonde hair black occasion serve for Jesus. He's going to bless me. This Sunday, I'm preaching uh, in Second Corinthians 5, the passage right before, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Paul says, we regard no one according to the flesh. That's That should Ooh. be the Christian's outlook on how we regard relationships is not, hey, do you look like me, smell like me, et cetera, et cetera? Then I can be your friend. If you, if you believe you know X, Y, Z, just like I do, you can be my friend. Um, that is... That is not the way that we are going to influence the world, particularly as we consider. I mean, isn't this amazing? The one sign Jesus says that we give to the world, that we are his disciples, is our love for one another. Um, That's in the book of uh, Second Moronicles, apparently. People don't want (laughs) to. John 13, a new commandment I give you. You love one another. The world will know that you are my disciples. Not the, the other disciples will know you're my disciples. He says the world will know you're my disciples. And yeah. Francis Schaeffer has a great uh, little book on that, uh, one, of, one of his smaller works. It's called The Mark of the Christian, and it's love for one another. But we get so stinking distracted, don't we? Yep. 
I mean, that, that's what's, all this what's, is. What's the one thing that'll unite us? Genuine faith? I don't know. What do you? Where, where are you going with that? Persecution. Uh, well, that's true. There's a great purging effect there, isn't there? When persecution comes, yeah. the the the, uh, the goats flee the church, yeah. and the sheep unite, and then you and I, in the same cage in prison, won't be debating pre post. Right. We're gonna be on our knees saying, "Lord, please, we lift up these guards mm. that you would save them. Give us the endurance to suffer the torture, whatever it might be." Persecution does that, and it's coming to the church. The primary doctrine is never so evident as when we are suffering together. Yeah. Then we know what's truly primary and what is what That's can right. be put off. So uh, everything wow. gets stripped away. Persecution and difficulty. See, if you're, I talk about the desert, a spiritual time going into the desert. And if you and I were to prep, say we're going to take a trip across the Mojave Desert because we're so intelligent that we're, we think it's a good idea. And so what we do is we get our backpack, we get our trailer behind us, that we can pull a hand cart, and we go into the desert. By the time we get out, we're not carrying anything except the bare essentials. That's what the desert time does to us in spiritual things. It strips us. And that's what persecution does. Desert times are small forms of persecution, but the church isn't facing it here. So we're weak and the unbelievers are doing what we're supposed to be doing. And God's judgment is coming upon America, I believe, because of the Christians. Hmm. Judgment begins with the house of God, First Peter 4 says. And uh, we, we have to be ready and we have to be so discerning. I mean, I, as we were talking earlier about the, the modern advancements in technology and everything else, uh, there, there's so much confusion out there. And the church is in desperate need of the prophetic voice that can speak clearly about what's going on in the culture mm-hmm. with conviction. Yep. And uh, we need preachers with backbones. High five. <laughs> I, I, I'm yeah. loving what you shocked me. But you're right. When you preach it with backbones who aren't afraid of, of whether a congregations grow or, or shrink, yeah. they got to preach to thin the church. And their purpose is to preach to equip the Christians for the work of ministry, not to babysit them and make them feel good. Yeah, that's it. And it is it's so I mean, speaking as a pastor, it is so easy to get in that mindset because there's comfort and safety and security from a worldly perspective and yeah. fattening the sheep uh, with whatever they want to munch on. Right. And not right. feeding them the vegetables <laughs> that they need. That's right. Um, but you, you, you have to wage war against that from a pastoral yeah. perspective. See, and it sounds to me like you're doing that, you know, you're yeah. equipping people. You have a, I can tell from talking to you, you know, you're balanced and um, uh, you know, you're probably equipping your Christian brethren, but I suspect that we in ministry, I, I'm an ex pastor. But uh, we in ministry need to turn the flame up a little by little on our Christians in the sitting in the pews so that we can see them get a little uncomfortable. It's coming. The persecution's coming. It's time to prep them for what's coming. Well, the nervousness I have as a Bible teacher, preacher, someone with, you know, whatever influence God has given me, even just as a father with my own kids, is not overstepping when it comes to application or making connections to real life. Because I mean, you have to obviously leave room for the Holy Spirit to do that in people's hearts yes. uh, to make application. And I don't want to, First Corinthians 4, exceed what is written. Uh, have you found a Verse way six. to keep a, keep yourself from, do- <laughs> from doing that? Um, yeah. 
because because obviously we have to speak to the modern day yeah. and, and we have to call out some of these things that are going on but we don't want to abuse the text of scripture well yeah um god uses people to um hone us like for our, our little disagreement on uh, the, on the rapture when it's going to occur yeah well you're, you're raising stuff and i'm listening to what you're saying i'm not just dismissing it i listen that's a good that's a good example of something because i believe i'm right but i also believe i could be wrong mm-hmm. well you know maybe you have insight that i don't have and this is what i honestly believe maybe you have insight i don't have on a particular issue so what are you saying and i was listening okay you went to some other things that i don't normally go to and you said a couple of things well okay so that's a check balance. I have a friend of mine who was just was going to call her in the show. He's post-mill. We've gone over post-mill, on-mill stuff. And he says something I hadn't thought of before. Well, we can't just assume that we have all the answers, even though it's my job literally is to answer questions, you know, radio <laughs> and writing articles. And, yeah. and I've got a lot of answers. And I wrote an article about predestination once, and I said, I'm absolutely convinced I'm right. I'm also absolutely convinced I could be wrong. But we have to be as dedicated to the word as possible, just like you said in First Corinthians four six, uh, or six four, to four, not six. exceed what's written, yeah, yeah. to not exceed what's written. Okay, use that against the Catholics, and don't exceed what's written in the Word of God. Don't exceed it, and so uh, that's why I enjoy people I don't agree with, not because I want to battle, not because I don't like them. Maybe they have an insight that I don't have. It's one of the ways that the body of Christ works together. And if you're not open to that, you're going to get entrenched. And like two men in the field, one is taken, one is left. 99.9% of all people believe that's rapture. Right. And it's not. You read the context, it's not. How come they're not getting it? Hmm. You know, it's so what do you do? Pray. Oh, CPR. Confess, pray, and read, and you'll be fine. Just got to keep, keep Christ centered. And become reformed because that's really better. <laughs> well, I was going to bring up aliens, but it seems like we're at a pretty good place aliens. to stop. I, I don't know. I, I, I think time for aliens. We can talk about aliens. Well, I was abducted three times last month, you know, and you know, we're going to have to walk all over again. Uh, it's really tough. And you walk with a limp uh, kind of one side, but, you know, it's, it's a little odd, but it's okay. Well, I mean, the, the diluting influence, I guess I could tie it back into something if I wanted to make a little <laughs> bit of a stretch. The diluting influence, you know, you, you, we, we did mention earlier about how it seems like spiritual warfare stuff's been coming up more lately. And I, and I honestly, I mean that in the last two, three weeks, I have been hearing really? more of God's people talking about that than normal. Same with me, two or three and, weeks. Interesting. Yeah. And, um, ah. and I'm also seeing something at a societal level over the last maybe year or so uh, with an interest in extraterrestrial life. Um, it's coming up a lot. I mean, it, I, I listen to Joe Rogan experience uh, from time to time. Almost every show I listen to anymore, he's talking about aliens. And he, he's got the most influential podcast in the world. Millions of people, more people listen to him than far more than listen to CNN or MSNBC or any of those mainstream media sources. And it's it's keeping the conversation going. And then, of course, we had this whole uh, shooting down these UFO things, these balloons uh, a while back earlier this year. What What's going on with the alien talk and why are people so fascinated with it and expecting the government to start releasing documents to admit we're not the only ones in the universe? But we are. So why, but why do, why do people expect more? What do you think is going on there? 
because they don't look to God, they look to other things and sensationalism and they're materialists. They look at the material world as providing our answers. So aliens are alien creatures from other planets, other galaxies that are going to help us. That's what they're hoping for. So, yeah. So they're, they're, it's almost like, uh, I mean, because everybody's feeling the weight of this world going downhill. I mean, even the secular person recognizes things are getting worse and to some degree. And people want an escape, don't they? Yeah. And so they look up, not to God, but to the skies to deliver them with aliens. And you and you said, we're the only ones in the universe. So you don't entertain the idea of any extraterrestrial oh. creatures anywhere. God didn't make any aliens. No, it's mathematically impossible, for one thing. Yeah. All right. And I know about the Drake equation. Anybody knows about that? I know about the Drake equation. It's a the Drake equation's a fool's errand. So, t so tell me if you can, in layman's terms, how aliens are mathematically impossible. Okay, let's see if we can do this. Um, permutability deals with the idea of factoring, and so if you have two a, a straight line, you have two blocks. How many ways can they be uh, arranged? Two, it's two times one, called two with an exclamation mark, factor two times one. So how many ways can three blocks be, be arranged? It's three times two times one. Four blocks, four times three times two times one. Five blocks, and it goes on. Yeah. So, <clears throat> all right, put that aside for just one second. If every single particle in the entire universe was changing its state at the maximum rate, which is 10 to the 40th times per second, and every particle, which is roughly 10 to the 80th particles in the universe, was doing it for 18 billion years, which I don't believe is worth it all. 18 billion years. Maximum age, they say it's 14.3. I don't buy any of that crap. Anyway, 18 billion year old universe, every particle in the entire universe, 10 to the 80th, mostly they just say 10 to the 70th. We just round it up to 10, 10 to the 78th. They just round it up to 10 to the 80th. And uh, every particle is changing its state. The maximum rate is 10 to the uh, 40th times per second. That's 10 to the 138th power. Okay. The one with 138 zeros behind it. So that means that 10 to the 138th means that the that if every particle is changing a state from high to low valence shell exchange, uh, whatever it is, the maximum rate, 40, 10 to the 40th times per second for 18 billion years, every particle in the universe doing this. That's how many maximum events will be 10 to the 48th or 10 to the 138th. It's called the max, uh, the universal probability bound. Okay. So let's just up it to 10 to the 150th because it's a nice round number. All right, now, one, two, three, four blocks in a row. So deoxyribonucleic acid is comprised of four nucleotide bond pairs, adenine, guanine, cytosine, thymine. They come together as AT and GC, AT or TA, GC and CG. There's four combos. So the odds of one uh, being in one place is one in four or 0.25. And the next one is 1 in 4, 0.25. So the odds of any two being there is 0.25 times 0.25. The third is times that times 0.25. That times 0.25. So it's 1 over that number, all right, or the odds of that coming together. Yes. Okay. And not going quickly. So the smallest virus ge genetically has uh, 220,000 nucleotide bond pairs. It's 0.25 to the 220,000th power. That's just to get that arrangement. You have to have RNA that comes in and can read the DNA. Then you have to have the folds in the sequences that work together with other genetic information by which you have to have sufficient stuff in order for replication to occur.
The replication has to occur on a micro level, super small level, in order to build uh, the, I'll just skip a bunch of stuff, into the genome by which then information can be activated, but then we have to have viruses, endogenous retroviruses, blah, 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 that activate and deactivate, blah, 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 blah. Okay, what are the odds of this? It's like 10 to the kabillionth power. Okay? <laughs> they, I can't even find calculators on the web mm. that'll go that high. It's just not possible. And so, the, the odds of life forming by chance, chance, in the universe means that you have to have these mm. elements come together forming this, forming that, information structures, and it gets so complex that it's, it's just not, it's not going to happen. Sorry, not going to happen. There are yeah. articles written about this called uh, that deal with the mathematical challenges to the neo-Darwinian theory of evolution, and there's mathematics that relate. And the reason this is important is because people don't realize that math and the material world work together. Yes. You get into that. Why does it work? It just does. If it's mathematically impossible, it's not going to happen. And so uh, this is why there's no life forming any place in the, in the universe. So what are these aliens? You, Did you know they teach theology? Real quick, though. You said before we really got into the conversation today, you haven't had anything to eat today? Correct. You wake up with, with the mathematic argument against aliens just in your brain, and you don't even need any calories to go there, huh? Well, I'm oh, hungry, God. but uh, I went to bed at 2 o'clock in the morning last night, got up about 10, and uh, started working on stuff, and then uh, had my meeting. We're working on AI, then we're talking, and then when we, I got a radio show in an hour and 20 minutes, but I'll eat it sometime in there. It's not a big deal. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I agree with you. I don't think that I could never explain it the way you just did. With all the calories and all the sleep in the world, I could never explain it that way. Not that hard. Um, but but I think I would hope I guess most serious Christians would be in line with us here saying there's no such thing as extraterrestrial life. Uh, we are the unless pinnacle. you call them angels and demons and things like that. But sure. Yeah. But yeah, as far as like uh, something like a woolly mammoth living on Mars, uh, you know, something like that. There's no such thing. I mean, God created. How do this you earth. know? It's not kidding. <laughs> God created this earth with these creatures. We're the the pinnacle of creation because we're right. made in His image, etc. Yes. Um, but then you have. Like uh, this documentary that just came out, I think it was this year, James Fox documentary about the alien invasion in the late 90s down in uh, Vir Virginia or something in uh, Brazil. Okay. And and you have many eyewitnesses that talk about interacting with these things and even medical staff that were assigned to dispose of these bodies mm -hmm. and, and everything else. And a pretty consistent testimony about what was going on where it seems like truly a physical mm -hmm. manifestation of something. Yep. They're real. And so in real physically, not just like a ghostly thing. They're real. They're real physically along with so, the alien ships are real. And it seems like for the Christian, if we're going to say that, then we have to go the demon route, right? That's really the only option to explain this. Logic. If life can't form by chance in the universe, then God has to create it. What we know of creations in the revealed world, word, angel, they have the angelic realm, and we have the material realm, our realm. So what are these aliens? What are these things? I got a theory. Well, let's, let's hear it. Okay. And I gave this theory to a, a ufologist who was a Christian, and he and his group concluded the same thing I did. But we, we all said the same thing. 
We don't know if it's true. It just fits. The model fits. We don't know if it's true. Not saying it is. Genesis chapter 6, the flood came because God had to wipe out the Nephilim. Well, who are the Nephilim? They're the offspring between fallen angels and women. That's what the church always taught until the 1500s when the Sethite theory came out. That's what the Jews always taught. The Jews always taught this. And it says in Genesis 6, 9 that, that Noah was perfect in all his generations. There's an, uh, uh, something about his ancestry is pure. And it talks about the Nephilim mm. in contrast to this. Mm. The daughters of men, uh, the sons of God, the daughters of men, and came into them and had you know, children. The Nephilim seem to be the half-breeds. One theory is, this is a theory, we don't know if it's true, is that the flood destroyed the Nephilim, and the disembodied spirits are now the demons. The demons always want to inhabit. It's one of the theories. That, that is one of the Bible difficulties, is how do you have Nephilim before the flood and after the flood if the only ones who were saved were, were the eight of Noah's family, right? You can, they, uh, they kept doing it. Mm. The, the Nephilim breeding program occurred on afterwards as well. Mm. And uh, the Nephilim, the Anakim, and I love to say the word Anunnaki, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> it's our half-breed, well, Anunnaki, I think they're the Anunnaki, are the reptilian aliens interbreeding with Nazis in underground cities, and they're going to take over. Yeah, King Charles, yeah. Love that. I love that theory. Oh, that's what I, I almost wanted to be true. It's just so good. Yes. So uh, the breeding program occurred afterward. Why would Satan stop? Why would the angelic ram? Would they stop? They could still uh, cause problems. Could it be this, that the Nephilim are still around and been doing breeding programs for a long period of time? They're physical beings, and they're brilliant. And the technology that they have has now outpaced us. And they're the ones manifesting in these alien-type things as a great deception to come. Now, this and this answers a lot of stuff and puts a lot of stuff in place. And that would make sense here, 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 here. It doesn't mean it's true, but that would account for the appearance of physical appearance of alien bodies, of different types, as well as craft. Now, I was taught in Bible college uh, a definition for angels. And it starts off by saying angels are immaterial spirit beings. Would you disagree with that first part with the immaterial designation? That's their immaterial spiritual beings. But you can also uh, meet you and I may have met angels unaware. Right. They can manifest physically. Some sort of manifestation. And so in this theory, demons would have to, in their physical manifestation, have seed to reproduce. And we don't say they can or can't. What gets me is um, if you're standing next to somebody, you've seen thousands of males in your life. If one of them is like looking like a mannequin, you're going to pick up on it pretty quickly. Right. The sweat, the hair, the eyelashes, the skin tone, everything. That's how great the ability is of the, of the angelic mm-hmm. realm to be able to manifest that you can't even tell. Unaware, yeah. Unaware. And we're experts at what people look like. Mm. We deal with them all the time. So with that, it doesn't mean they can produce seed. It doesn't prove it. But it makes you wonder what's going on in that that level. Can they do that down to that level? I don't know. But let me throw something else out, out, else out at you. And this is out of Daniel chapter 2. And... There's a verse that's very interesting. The, con- the context of Daniel 2 
is the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, the the gold, silver, and bronze. And then the feet are the clay and iron, which are mixed. And that's, now we know that that's supposed to be time frames. Okay. Yeah. I've heard you bring this up before. And that is, this is a very interesting, I don't know when I'm ever going to have time to study this, but I want to. So I I don't, don't want to interrupt your train of thought, but I, it's coming back to me and this is extremely interesting. It is. Um, verse 20 or uh, Daniel two forty three, and in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay they will combine with one another in the seed of man but they will not adhere to one another now, I got this from Chuck Missler who brought this up and he said the Hebrew construction implies that the they are not men not people <clears throat> that was the implication I'm like Whoa. It's one of those things you hear once and you remember it. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Not, not as not it was, many people are going to be brave enough to walk out on that ledge and say something like that. No, but Chuck Mister did. But uh, I used to go to his Bible study back in the day and <laughs> with Walter Martin and Chuck Mister. Anyway, wow. so uh, if that's the case, as it was in the days of Noah, so should it be the days of coming a son of man? If that's the case, if the, if it's the case that the Nephilim are the fallen angels— half-breeds. And if it's a case that Daniel 2.43 means they're going to, at the at the end, they're going to breed, mix, then it would fit that the Nephilim are the aliens and they're faking us out. I'm not saying this is proof, yeah. that it, but it fits. It's the only model I know that answers all of it. Would you cross-reference that too? Again, going back to like Matthew 24, where Jesus said, in the end, it's going to be like the days of Noah. Yeah, I just would, according to that, Matthew 24, uh, 36, I think it is, as it was in days of Noah, so shall it be the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Yeah. Yeah. They were eating, and they, they were eating, drinking, marriage, and the flood came and took them all away. Luke 17, the flood came and destroyed them all. That's the wicked who were doing that. They're taken, and were they taken to a place of, of uh, damnation. And, and it's right judgment. there in Genesis <clears throat> 6, where it, you know we start the story with Noah, where it says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. Yeah. So this and the theory fits, I don't say everything perfectly, but it, it's the only theory I'm aware of that, that answers most of the, the issues mm. and puts it in place. And you go, yeah, that makes sense. Is it true? We don't know. Because mm. I, I, I don't see the fascination with aliens dying down. And I do sort of wonder if that's going to be a part of the program here as the earth continues its downward spiral. Yeah. The deception, even when you start incorporating the world economic forum stuff, the great reset and all that, that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. People are so vulnerable when they're afraid and this could really freak people out. Yep. That's why I tell people to start prepping. I'm a prepper in a very mild level, but, (laughs) But, you know, get food, get water, get, yeah. get stuff, you know, you just should. It's a, it's a biblical thing to do that anyway. And I wrote an article on that. But here's another thing a lot of people don't know is that Christians are not abducted. Hmm. They're not abducted. When people are abducted and they cry out to Christ, the abduction ends. And the aliens teach theology. Jesus is not God. We're all divine. Reincarnation is true. Hmm. That's a consistent teaching you've heard from people. Mm-hmm. Have you had and any personal experience with aliens? Yeah, I saw something once, 
that in the sky could not explain. And I was in Southern California, Buena Park. And I was young and I saw a light off the distance towards where Disneyland was down the street, you know, 10, 15 miles away. And uh, I saw a, a light go up in the sky like this. Oh, it's a helicopter way over there, a plane. And then it went like this. Wow. And it went right over my head like that. And uh, I was with a guy and we both saw it. But we were both involved in the occult at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I've seen that. Um, there I seems can, to be particularly a lot of those reports of people seeing yes. yeah, in the sky, something stopping, hovering, jutting mm-hmm. one way or the other really fast in an inexplicable yep. way. Well, there's a theory of a propulsion system where you take two plates of metal. I don't know what kind of metal and you put them a certain angstrom distance apart and you take photons, which photons are, are, are light uh, particles that occur when an electron jumps uh, a certain uh, frequency jumps from one shell to another mm-hmm. and a photons emitted. They take those photons, they put them up into that, that slit between them. And that's one of the theories that it generates a field around which mm-hmm. negates momentum and some other things. I've heard, I've studied a lot of stuff, but here's something that's really interesting. You can go on the web and you can look up UFO encounters and there's a semi baldish guy, slender guy, 50 ish. And he talks about how to contact UFOs. It's the exact same technique used to contact spirits, mm, which is empty your mind. Go into a place of solitude, wait, look to the heavens, look outside of yourself, wait for it to come, expect it to come, and let your thoughts go outward and stuff like this. And the, now, and there's more to it. I got to say this. This is what I used to do in the occult. And I basically swore I'd never tell anybody what to do, but that was basically it. But this is what they're doing with the, the uh, UFOs to contact them and then they have manifestations this is how another guy does the same thing to contact uh ancient uh people mm-hmm. they, they don't realize what's going on there's different that's right so i study all kinds of things so i i have a lot of different uh, bits of information on all kinds of stuff from mathematics to genetics to epigenetics to uh, viruses to you know aliens to the occult i mean i've been doing this for so long and that's why I'm so screwed up and messed up. But, uh, you know, it happens. With, with but, rugged good looks. But with raw, oh, rugged good looks. There you go. I like that. Rugged good looks. I'll tell my wife you said that. And then while she's drinking coffee, so I can watch the spit take. <laughs> so uh, so the thing is, um, this is what's happening. And these kind of things, principles are taught on TV and in different shows of, of uh, getting in tune with stuff, emptying your mind. Mindful. A, it's, it's almost like it's called uh, mindfulness. You, you see, there's a mindfulness movement, which is kind of ironic because it's a mind emptiness, uh, essentially. And it's creeping into the church. Hmm. Yeah. It well, it ten, fifteen years ago, contemplative prayer was kind of like the yes. thing. Uh-huh. Uh, it seems like we've evolved in that area, but the the whole um, Richard Rohr uh, type theology, <laughs> those guys that uh, maybe even the Dallas Willard types. I don't want to drop too many names without knowing too much, but uh, yeah, there's, there's a mysticism essentially to it. Well, think about this. The day that you eat the fruit, you're going to die. What's man been doing trying to replace God? When Adam and Eve started behaving like atheists, it went to, went bad mm-hmm. because an atheist will say, I don't need God. I can make up my own morals, my own true statements. And so this is the, the opposite of godliness when you have the opposite of godliness, you open yourself up to mysticism in different ways. And Christians do it. A lot of Christians are into sorcery. They don't realize it because 
if you say certain things and expect certain things, there'll be guaranteed spiritual result. Mm. Name it and claim it. That's a source from sorcery. If I pray this prayer, God's going to do such and such. Well, that's not how it works. This is why this is a plug for Reformed theology. And I know a lot of people don't agree with Reformed theology, but let me tell you, having done this, I've been doing apologetics since 1980. And the only theological perspective that I'm aware of that guards you against most heresies is Reformed theology. It also guards you against heresies you're not trained to be aware of. And so those who hold to the sovereignty of God, election, predestination, eternal security, and the things that go along with it are less likely to be less likely to be uh, duped by the sorcery methods of you just name what you want and God will give it to you. No, because the sovereignty of God resists that. And this kind of thing. The emphasis on God's sovereignty and the distinction between creator and creature. Uh, I, the more I teach theology, the more I see that is so key. If, if you as a Christian can grasp, he is creator and it comes with this set of attributes and you are creature and you are limited Man, that just, if you can grasp that, that prevents you from falling in so many ditches. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm out there here is. in Mormon land, and that's obviously a huge yeah. aspect of the whole, the whole deification. You can become a god, et cetera, that's et cetera. Right. But if there's an infinite chasm that can't be crossed between creator and creature. Right. Are you in Utah? Yeah. Oh, where? I'm 15 minutes south of Provo, Payson, Utah. Oh, okay, where that is. Yeah, I was just in Provo a few months ago. Mm-hmm. But uh, everybody down there, you know, I have uh, friends in Sandy. Uh, Bill McKeever, Eric Johnson, yeah, you know. Right, yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, there, and I was in seminary. The professor got up and the board and he says, "I'm going to, gentlemen, I'm going to teach you one of the most important things you're ever going to learn in seminary." Oh, awesome! There is a God. You are not Him. Amen. And uh, yeah, the the very first guy who discipled me in my Christian life, he told me that countless times. He said two things you need to know: there is a God, you're not Him. He would say it over and over and over again. And if you have that as your core doctrine that goes down to your heart, that will take you a long way. It's so simple, but so profound. So That's why I like Reformed theology, because it helps guard me. Because I, because of my knowledge, uh, I have the ability to become very arrogant and stubborn, because I'm always right. And we fall in our strengths as well as our weaknesses. What? Well, I'm just being obvious, you know. Yeah, I think uh-huh. I'm always right, but, you know, of course, it's not the case. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's true. Yeah. It is. You, you are not the one creature that can bridge the chasm and become perfect. No, 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 no. <laughs> and that what I like about Reformed theology is a doctrine of total depravity. And I'm frequently reminded about yes. my own sinfulness and my covetous. I remember once I was in prayer, deep, deep, deep in prayer. One of the few times in my life where I was way down there confessing every sin I could possibly imagine before my Lord, confessing and asking for cleansing and just confessing to the point after 20 minutes, I couldn't even think of anything else. And then I said, Lord, I want to thank you so much for not making me like the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. And I kept praying in my humility and went, wait a minute, that sounds familiar. Yeah, that's right. Luke 18 has something to say about that. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. The Pharisee, and I went, oh, yeah, That's the right. depths of my depravity are so great. And then why would God love us? Not because of us, because of him. Why would he choose us? Yes. Because of what's in him. Oh, Humility is about as close to a golden bullet as we'll ever get in this life, I think, to answering the problems that we have. Humility is the way. 
Uh, Bill McKeever told me he's proud of his humility. So. <laughs> Throw Bill under the bus. <laughs> That's right. I just threw Bill under the bus, but uh, oh. yeah. he told oh. me that I laughed. Thanks for uh, another roller coaster ride here. Talking theology. Appreciate that. Sure. And uh, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, out of all the people I disagree with, you're the one I like the most. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm probably the only one who says, I hope you're right. <laughs> I, I want you to be right. Please be right. It's what it is. So yeah, it's yeah. fine. But you said you're a four pointer. Maybe we can talk about that sometime. I can help you out. Yeah. I don't know. I've actually, that that's an area of study that I have been in uh, more recently and feel more confident about being uh, against limited atonement. So, yeah. well, we could tell you what, why don't we have a discussion on it and, uh, and I can show you, uh, how about, I'll, I'll, how about this? I'll make a polite challenge. Yeah. I'll throw some arrogance in there too. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I'll, I will assume I can answer every objection you have and no, that you won't be able to answer mine. How about that as a nice little friendly challenge? <laughs> okay. Well, uh, but you have to promise not to use the, the covenant of redemption as a scapegoat. Why would I do that? All I could do is just use scripture. Oh, good. Perfect. Hey, that's yeah, it. That's, that's right. all I ask. Yeah. My only stipulation. That's right. No problem. I go where the scriptures lead. But I just had a discussion yesterday with somebody about it. I've got some really good arguments for it. But I'm I'm of the opinion, hey, if you don't believe it, all right. We got more important things to deal yeah. with. But um, but I, I know it pretty well. I've been studying it and I have some pretty good arguments. Um, but hey, you know, you never know. You know, if you want, maybe the audience might enjoy a, a repertory back and forth between friends who don't, yes. you know, aren't going to call yeah. each other heretics. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Just joking. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be fun. Well, yeah, so let's plan on it. Yeah. Sure. So uh, I better uh, jump off here okay. because you got a radio show to prep for in an hour. I got it in an hour and I got to eat. So <laughs> you probably don't do much prep for your radio show, though, do you? You probably just go no. roll with it. I just go, I've been doing it 18 years, five days a week, you know? So just, what do you want to talk about? I don't know. Yeah. It's easy. It's not, hard. it's not hard. It's just talking like you and I, people call mm-hmm. up, Hey, what about that? This and that. That's all. Except not everybody's as fun as me. Right. I mean, you get some real stinkers on there. Oh, I guess some obstreperous twits. <laughs> <laughs> I do. But for the most part, people are really good. Yeah. Well, good uh, stuff. Is, and we broadcast it on rumble now. So, oh, that's right. Are are you still on Facebook too? Uh, still are, but we're moving away from the the libo crap and moving over towards Rumble and uh, conservative things because it's you know it's getting bad. So. I think Rumble's picking up a little steam, which I'm happy to see. So yes, it is. Good. Yes, it is. All right. Okay, Matt. Have a great All day. Right. Okay, Jeremy. God bless, buddy. We'll see ya. Bye bye.